bitch bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erica. And I'm Kristen. And we have some news for you. So first of all, uh, welcome back to the podcast, Kristen. Thank you. Uh, And you will be back um, quite semi-permanently, actually. (laughs) Yes. So first of all, a wholehearted welcome, as I said. Um. Kristen is our new host. So Kristen Wayworth. Kristen, that's you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is a political pundit, sexual violence survivor, and advocate who uses her voice and experiences to speak to audiences about sexual violence and working towards changes in provincial and federal legislation to better support survivors. She has a reappearing column, reappearing column, my bad, in the line touching it's on hard topics, to say. it is of sexual violence and political response she is the current chair of parody yeg an organization committed to supporting women in politics and is an executive advisor to an edmonton city councillor welcome kristen Thank you. Edmonton City politics is much less sexy than Toronto City politics, apparently. Oh, well, we'll get there. <laughs> um, so some of you might be asking, well, what happened to Aaron? So Aaron, who was one of the OGs who started this podcast with me, is moving on to Bright Pastures. She is going hard into tech commentary from an intersectional feminist lens. She has her own upcoming pod, Alt Text which will focus on tech and culture and is continuing with her own tech newsletter, Decrypto. She will be, she will continue following a writing career in her niche and generally being a bad bitch. So we wish Erin all the success in the world and recognize that everybody has their path to follow and their own niche to forge. So I just wanna say thank you, Erin, for the time and energy you put into the pod over the years so Kristen mm-hmm. um you are a conservative Kristen's been on this pod I think like three times already and has so, provided yeah. some really deep and meaningful commentary on Alberta politics on conservatives on where the party is where it's going i think coming up to definitely coming up to the alberta election that will be an invaluable invaluable viewpoint um and i just want to say over the coming months i just want to refresh the podcast some of the visuals some of the designs uh don't be alarmed we're still retaining the structure and its features Um, But lately, what I've found, to be honest, is that there's too much of a gap between all of us or amongst all of us on a lot of issues. And that's where misinformations and especially grifters peddling misinformation really lie. So I will still be me. I will still have my views. 
it's just that I guess we're expanding the conversation, we're expanding the analysis, and to somebody who just won't always agree with me, and <laughs> we have already found a few points <laughs> which we don't agree with. <laughs> so that should be interesting. I think um, one a thing that makes a podcast interesting sometimes is the is the artistic tension between the hosts um not a real tension in terms of um relationships but you know something that can be debated and argued and so uh with this remix of bad and bitchy we will redirect our energies to creating content that hopefully resonates with you in pursuit of this goal so when i think I, I welcome Kristen into you. the fold. Yeah. <laughs> and not to interrupt you, but I think that what's great too, that people will probably, and probably have already noticed if they follow either of us on social media or have heard me on here before, is that, yeah, we disagree, but we're friends. And I yes. think that it's important for people to be able to see that you can have political disagreements and have different positions on certain issues and then and still maintain a, a respectful and caring and loving relationship. Because I think that that so much of what we see now is people divided into camps where it's like that's almost an impossibility. And I think that it's important for folks to see that that's not the case. Especially women. Yeah. Especially women. I think that really, really holds true for women. Um, so, yeah, a couple of pieces of housekeeping. Before we begin. Um, number one is... Uh, I know we're late coming back, but now you know why. And I just want to remind everybody that this is a paid podcast and that if you want to become a subscriber, go to badandbitchy.com, um, share it with all your friends. We will provide um, some clips and some links for free. Uh, but ultimately, to listen to the full podcast, and I'm guessing that if you made it this far, then you are a subscriber to the full podcast, that, yeah, you have to subscribe at badambitchy.com. So do that. We will not be recording a podcast next week since family day is on Monday. And um, when we would have otherwise released the episode. And Kristen has a historical anecdote about the origin of the holiday. Take it away, Kristen. It's it's actually very adorable. So um, John Getty, who was premier of Alberta for, oh God, now I need to look that up to make sure that I get it correctly. He was uh, premier of Alberta after uh, Lockheed stepped down and before Klein. So he kind of gets ignored a little bit because of the fact that he was in between two like big Alberta kind of political giants in a lot of ways. Um, but he had uh, an issue in his family where one of his children struggled with drug addiction and had a very you know sort of difficult time with that and as a result of that he thought that part of the reason that maybe that there was an issue with addiction in his family was in part based on like not being together enough as a family and so that's why he created family day and he created it to sort of give people that time and that energy to be able to spend time with their families and I think that's actually kind of like a sweet reason for why it exists in Alberta is, is basically around that. So he was premier, he became premier in 1985 and he stepped down 
why are they not being worried? In yeah, like late nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety, I think it was. A little side note, uh, my fr- one of my high school friends, her brother dated his daughter. Oh really? Yeah. He was actually good friends with my grandfather, and he when my uh, when my grandfather passed away, he sent a very sweet note to my family and a very lovely like card and stuff he was a very he's a very very nice man from like I didn't have a lot of personal experience with him but everything that I knew from what my grandfather said my family had said is he's just a very very nice man so let's get into it well good evening and thank you for coming uh, I want to update uh, Torontonians uh, on a difficult personal matter during the pandemic I developed a relationship with an employee in my office in a way that did not meet the standards uh, to which I hold myself as mayor and as a family man. The relationship ended by mutual consent earlier this year. During the course of our relationship some time ago, the employee decided to pursue employment outside City Hall and secured a job elsewhere. I recognize that permitting this relationship to develop was a serious error in judgment on my part. It came at a time when Barb, my wife of 40 plus years, and I were enduring many lengthy periods apart while I carried out my responsibilities during the pandemic. As a result, I've decided that I will step down as mayor so that I can take the time to reflect on my mistakes and to do the work of rebuilding the trust of my family. I'll be working with the city manager, city clerk and the deputy mayor Jennifer McKelvey to ensure an orderly transition in the coming days. While I deeply regret having to step away from a job that I love in a city that I love even more, I believe in my heart it is best to fully commit myself to the work that is required to repair these most important relationships. As well, I think it is important, as I always have, for the office of the mayor not to be in any way tarnished and not to see the city government itself put through a period of prolonged controversy arising out of this error in judgment on my part, especially in light of some of the challenges that we face as a city. I'm deeply sorry and I apologize unreservedly to the people of Toronto and to all of those hurt by my actions, including my staff, my colleagues on City Council and the public service for whom I have such respect. Most of all, I apologize to my wife Barb and to my family who I've let down more than anyone else. I hope the privacy of all of those impacted by my actions can be respected and that includes me. I think as you know that I am naturally not, uh, I'm naturally a private person notwithstanding some of the jobs that I've had over the years and I hope you'll respect that and the privacy of everyone else as well, especially my wife and family. I've made the integrity commissioner aware of the relationship and asked him to review it. I want to thank the people of Toronto for trusting me as mayor. It has been the job of a lifetime. And while I've let them down and my family down in this instance, I've nonetheless been deeply honoured by the opportunity to serve the people of this wonderful city. And I believe that I did some good for the city, that I did make a positive difference uh, for the city that I truly love, particularly during the pandemic. I'm usually known for taking as many questions as you want to ask, but on this occasion I think I'll let my statement speak for itself. Thank you. So that feels pretty mundane, and yet <laughs> it was a surprise resignation. What do you think? What do you think of that speech, Kristen? Um, I mean, my favorite part was where he said that it had ended earlier this year. Like, bro, it's February eleventh. Like, there hasn't been a lot of time left in this year. Like, like in this year. So you did it when, like when you knew the story was coming out or like, so that part is, I think, very um, interesting in terms of the timing. 
I think like the ultimate issue here, and I'm glad that he resigned. Like I honestly, when I was watching him speak, I didn't think he was going to. I figured that this would be something that he thought he could ride out and not have to really take accountability for, as we've seen with people before, like for example, Bill Clinton. Um, so I didn't really expect that. Uh, so I'm glad that he did that, honestly, because I think it shows that maybe he does acknowledge that there was a severe abuse of power because nobody cares. If you want to have an affair, go have an affair. But don't have an affair with someone who works for you, whose entire career is dependent upon you. That's the part that's an issue for me. Like, I don't really generally care what politicians do in their personal life. I care when it's a situation like this, which is emblematic of a lot of problems that have existed in politics for a very long time. So, Kristen, why can't two people who just like each other get together? I mean, doesn't this woman have agency? Oh, yeah, I love that argument. Um, And, you know, again, no, there's been no comment from her or anyone associated with her that's implied that this is anything but a consensual relationship that they had. But it doesn't matter. He's the 68-year-old mayor of Toronto, and she was a 31-year-old staffer. From the timing of what he's talked about, since it seemed to have happened during the height of COVID, she was in her 20s. And the power dynamic there is is abuse of power, just straight up abuse of power. And I think that that's the part that people need to start thinking about is like, if your boss, who is in charge of your future career and anything that happens to you, wherever you go afterwards, comes on to you or wants to have a room, like, what are you going to do that that puts you in a very, very difficult position, regardless of your own um I don't even want to say desires because we're talking about John Tory. So that's really gross, but um, yeah, yeah, I know. Like I just really, really hate the Toronto star for making me think about John Tory having sex with anybody. But I think that that's, that's the biggest piece about this. And like, if it, again, if it had just been some random woman in his life that he chose to have an affair with, I wouldn't have thought that he had to resign. I would think that you would have to take accountability for your actions, but I don't think that's, something you need to resign for necessarily but when it's a staffer in your office a hundred percent that is completely inappropriate behavior but Kristen, what if she came on to him yeah yeah i've heard that too who cares he's able to like say no like he's a fucking grown-ass man and he could have just said no and he didn't and then blaming the pandemic because he was away from his wife like, and that's who I feel really sorry for at the end of the day in this whole situation is he's been married for over 40 years. And to go through something like that, even privately is a very difficult thing to go through something like that publicly where every single person that you know now knows what happened. Can, can it's only imagine. Yeah. He just he it, humiliated his entire family. Especially because he used to post all the time about like his deep love for his wife their communication skills and this and that it's like okay but like yeah that went out that worked out well for you I guess um okay here's here's because you know I have thoughts okay and the questions I pose to you as you know are the questions that are you know floating around like turds on the internet number one there's nothing in Toronto City Council's code of conduct that specifically addresses romantic relationships between mm-hmm. council members and their staff. Yeah. 
isn't that a problem? I mean, I would argue that it is. I think, I mean, as because... somebody who works in, who works in city council, um, I would argue that it absolutely is because I mean, I, not to give away my age, but I am certainly veering towards the older demographic in terms of staffers. A lot of the staff to city council in Edmonton are in their 20s. And um, that even, that again, going back to the John Tory thing, the age dynamic adds to the power problem. So, right. I mean, I think that when you when you are engaged in a romantic or sexual relationship with someone who's not only older than you, but is in charge of your future, mm-hmm. there is no way that you guys can be equals in that in that relationship, in my mind. And I think that there is a reason why that's not included in a lot of these things. I don't think it's included in a lot of other places, but um, it's because it does happen. And people who would like it to happen don't want to actually forbid it. And I think that that's problematic because then when something does happen, like what kind of like ability do you have to speak to your concerns if it's not actually against the code conduct? Indeed. And um, what what I'm really interested in here is like looking at these issues through a power lens and the power imbalance um, really impedes the ability to say no. Or Mm -hmm. even to break it off. If she wanted to break that off, the power imbalance kind of precludes her from doing that. It doesn't matter who started what, when. And um, well, and it's not even about like, okay, so hypothetically, let's mm -hmm. just say like that, that it was fully consensual on both sides, 100% good to go. She's fine. He's fine. It ends. They're both fine. Mm -hmm. It's the optics, which is where he should have known better. Yeah. He has been in and around politics for a very, very long time. This isn't like, he's not like some new person to this experience. He knows exactly what this would have looked like from the beginning. And he should not have gotten involved in it. And yes, she has left his office and she's found employment elsewhere. But even that, like it's, that could always be tainted by the relationship that she was in, unfortunately, because that's what happens. And that's the way that people will perceive these situations. And she will always thankfully like she hasn't really publicly been identified by any mainstream media but because that like it will taint her more than it would taint him which is another really unfair piece of this yes exactly i mean all jokes aside no matter where she goes there's gonna she has like that question hanging over her head like the sword of damocles you know what i mean yeah. Oh, did you get here because of because you know of your relationship with John Tory, or do you have any other relationships with other men? Instead of asking, has Don has John Tory done this before? Yeah, well, you can't question, tell right? me that this is his first time. I don't believe that mm-hmm. because he was well, an executive I mean, at Rogers before this. Well, he still is. <laughs> He's on their board. He still gets paid a shit ton of money to sit on their board. So yeah, he's uh it's not like him leaving the office of mayor is going to hamper his financial abilities going forward. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But um, I think you're right. I mean, has he done it before? And I think, you know, you go back to the Clinton example, which is the, mm-hmm. I think the one of the better comparisons. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause that was also a consensual relationship. Yeah. Like at no point has Monica Lewinsky ever said that it wasn't consensual, but the power dynamic she and was the 19. way that she was, tra- she was 19 
and the way she was treated afterwards was disgusting. And we all know that Bill Clinton didn't only cheat on his wife one time. He did it many times. Yeah. And probably also by using his power and his authority, whether it was when he was governor of Arkansas or when he became president or after, you know, I think that it's, it's very important for us to talk about these things and not normalize using your power and your authority to develop sexual relationships with people. Like that is not okay. And that, you know, I, I was very heartened to see that a lot of people across the spectrum called it out for what it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. I didn't see a heck of a lot of people defending it, um, which I appreciate. I've seen a few like stupid takes here or there, but overall, I think most people acknowledge that it's that it was completely inappropriate. Exactly. Now, would you call this let's like, I'm assuming this is a, um, a consensual relate. Well, consent is questionable with that level of power imbalance, you know? Um, so given that, would you call this sexual harassment then? I mean, I wouldn't, I'm not going to speak to that because I think that that's her decision. If she wants to call it that, if she, like, that's her, her experience. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really important too that while we can make comments on the overall situation that in terms of what it was or what it wasn't, that's her personal experience, and his mm-hmm. personal experience. And she needs to be given the space to call it what it was. I don't want to take away her personal experience by calling it something because uh, who knows uh what it what it was very clearly was a a abuse of power in his role as mayor and i think that he resigned thankfully but i mean i i am also wondering like what else there might have been going on that he resigned because i feel like he could have wrote it out just on this one thing i don't know if that necessarily would have been enough toronto does have a history of mayors doing far more scandalous things than that so yeah, it feels a little flimsy to me. Okay, I I just I don't I don't I don't I don't okay. Cuz I'm just very confused right now. Anyway. <laughs> here's my thing. Let me go back to his wife. So I, you know, John Tory has a notorious like um busy schedule I guess you could call it he's always working mm-hmm. apparently uh, now we know what he was he's in city on. hall right now he's in he city really? hall right now I saw a video yeah he's in city hall right now well there you go and my thing is I don't know if his wife worked but she definitely held it down in terms of the family I'm sure because he wasn't yep. around right yep so this idea that he had an affair because he wasn't like what kind of agency are we taking away from John Tory if we allow him to say shit like that and on top of that like the it seems like he he just has power imbalances with women throughout his whole life mhm right i mean i you know, I think like I'm not going to comment obviously on on his marriage and the decision there in terms of whether or not it works. I'm not, or not talking but about I the decision. That, but I'm I think saying. that it is. Yeah, yeah, I think that it it just it speaks to um, just his fundamental disrespect, but also like, and I was talking to someone in, in the conservative movement today about this, and he said, you know, you can't. He he chose an interesting example, but he said basically like you can't choose to pretend to be TV Bill Cosby in front of the cameras 
and then be something else completely behind them. And I think that that's part of the biggest concern around this is that John Tory's always sold himself as this solid family guy. And like he, you know, there's nothing about him scandalous. Da, 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 da. So that's in part probably his biggest issue is that it's like he all everything about his image this is count counter to that right right he was um boring and devoted it was basically yeah. what it was exactly i mean and i mm. think you know after rob ford right. there's nothing that was more appealing right than the idea of someone who's boring and and not gonna smoke crack i mean these are things that you would <laughs> generally expect out of your elected officials but people, you know, I mean, there is so much room in between. I'm just saying. There's there's like a large like there's a big amount of space in between those two examples. I'm just saying. OK. And I think but I think that that's like where we feel almost more betrayed I guess like how voters would feel about Tory like people who voted for him people who supported him people who worked for him um it's like when this Rob Ford started things started coming out like people were like okay yeah that makes sense like that 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 lines up and then the more weird shit he would do the more it just kind of made sense in terms of it was not outside of his brand this is very much outside of the John Tory brand of what he has put himself forward as and so I think that's also one of the reasons that this has struck so hard is because nobody saw this coming. Like yeah. no one, there was no, you know, like nobody was like, yeah, of all the politicians in Canada, the one who's going to have a sex scandal is going to be John Tory. Like Ew. it just, I, yeah. And even saying it, it feels gross, but like, it just wasn't, it wasn't, there was nothing about this that there was like a lead up to it to, to expecting this in any way. And I think that that's important to acknowledge when we're talking about why people are reacting the way they are. Yeah. I mean, especially when it comes to most of the criticism of Tory has been to the budget and, um, and how the budget is being allocated and the cuts to public services. So I feel as though it's, it's just, it's really odd to me that this is what Tory resigned more like I I just Mm -hmm. I don't know um anyway he his deputy mayor Jennifer McKelvey will become acting mayor uh any word on an election yeah so my understanding is that it's like 60 days in which Mm -hmm. you had from from there that you're gonna have to start looking into what happens I think you've already had one person declare that they that they're thinking of running again um oh and chris sky so you're welcome toronto what yeah he tweeted out a video where he was like i have received hundreds of phone calls of people asking me to run for mayor of toronto and he lives in fucking leduc so i mean i don't know what he would do doing that but yeah so like you have people like that So, I mean, but there's also been talk about Nate Ermanskin Smith potentially running. There's been a couple other names that have been bounced about. Um, Mm. There's Mikey Ford as a good opportunity. That's something that I've heard quite a bit from people that that might be someone who runs. Oh, that Nepo baby? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Toronto's built on Nepo babies. Like, I think that's what the hilarious part about, like, 
Toronto and Ontario politics is like so many people are the sun, like whether you're a journalist or a politician, you're usually the child of someone who was equally as successful as you. Selena Caesar Chavon put out um, uh, uh, a Twitter poll also last night um, asking if she should run. So did I. I voted a big old yes. I so did I. I'm like, well, you know, yeah, why not? I mean, sure. So I think it's going to be interesting to see over the next um, few weeks what's going to happen with Toronto and especially as this budget looms. So uh, I think it's it's really interesting. It's just the timing is fascinating to me, especially yeah. with that budget. So yeah, well, and then we also have a provi- like federal budget that's going to be coming out. Like we have a lot of different things yeah. that are happening all at yeah. once. Yeah. So yeah. it will be interesting to see, and it also will give you a good idea of who who's more liberal leaning might be looking to be mayor as opposed to being um, leader of the Ontario Liberal Party, which apparently nobody wants to do. So. So speaking of federal, let's talk about. Trudeau. Let's talk about my favorite topic. Uh huh. <laughs> his and like the announcement of his appointment of Amira El Gawabi as Canada's first special representative on combating Islamophobia on January twenty sixth. Um, that's a story that's been going strong for a couple of weeks, which is really long for federal political stories mm-hmm. um, especially when it comes to appointments and stuff like that that's pretty long so in a 2019 opinion piece uh, Amira co-authored um, and co-author sorry Bernie Farber cited a poll in saying that quote the majority of Quebecers appear to be swayed not by the rule of law but by anti-Muslim sentiment unquote in their support for Bill 21, which restricts certain public sector employees from wearing religious symbols um, while on the job. Now, this opinion piece, as it said, it was a poll. You can, we have a link to the poll. You can draw your own conclusions of what the poll says, but it looks pretty close to the actual poll. But I digress. Um, this is unleashed, of course, calls for her resignation despite her apology. Uh, and some have even called for the abolition of the position itself. So in response to these accusations of Quebec bashing contempt for people of Quebec, there have been many counter um, accusations of Islamophobia for the treatment of Ms. El Gawabi, as well as for Bill 21. So um, I find it, this is, I, okay, here's my thing. This is my, this is my opinion of this, is that I am not surprised that there's so much fervor over this. Mm -hmm. I don't think that Quebec wants this position to exist, period. And I think that that was always the goal. 
And I think that they and the liberals made her jump through hoops so they could achieve that, those ends. <clears throat> I mean, it's actually quite a clever political strategy if you really sit down and, and think about it. But at the same time, Amir is being dragged through the mud. And um, there are many, many, many ways, like, I, I'm not going to say ways to look at this. There are many ways in which this is resonating for different people. And yep. so um, let's start with just the basics and start with what is laicite? The other thing I just want to highlight, too, is like what this speaks to is the fact liberals have consistently not been very good at vetting their folks. Like if it comes to Julie Payette, it comes to like Julie Payette's, of course, the best example. Um, but and she was awful, you know. Well, she was, and I mean, I'm not saying that that this is similar in terms of awfulness. I'm pretty sure that the Islamic advisorless people look her in the eye. Um, but the point is, is they don't they didn't prepare her. So your job as a political staffer doing something like this needs to be to look at every single tweet, every single piece of social media to know exactly what they've said. And it's not like this particular article was some hidden thing for she did 15, 20 years ago. She did it like three years ago. Um, and they should have known that this was coming and they should have been aware. Yeah, I just, I don't understand though how they could not have seen that piece. Well, I mean, think about, oh my God, I'm going to forget his name, but the guy that they they were giving a grant to who ended up having some like terrible history of anti-Semitic posts. Mahoud, I think was his name. So they've like, this has been an issue for them again and again and again and again. And I think that they should have been prepared because again, going back to La Cité, what it means is basically the principle of religious neutrality. So that what with Quebec, so because Quebec as a province for a very, very long time was very much controlled by the Catholic church. Like under Bourassa, like that was, that was what they were. They were a Catholic province. And so when that stopped, when you saw sort of the quiet revolution, quote unquote, in Quebec in the sixties, where they kind of threw off the Catholic church, there was a very big commitment within the Quebecois community that they were going to never allow religious oppression again because the catholic church very much oppressed the people of quebec france is very much the same way in the way that they operate so it's a very big idea of like okay we are a secular state and we will not allow anything within our province that counteracts us being a secular state which is where bill 21 comes in because of course to remember it's not just they're banning jobs from public service workers it's Sikh people wearing um turbans it's jewish people it's even it's even really catholics wearing wearing a cross so there's a lot of different components to bill 21 um which is why it's being challenged as a discriminatory law because it is um you could not find anyone within the muslim faith especially a practicing woman who wears a hijab who is going to have a positive opinion about bill 21 so i do not know why the liberals thought bringing someone in that they would not prepare her for that conversation. They know Blanchette. They know what Blanchette's like. They know what Legault is like. They knew exactly what would happen. But then not only did they not prepare her, they didn't prepare their own caucus. 
Pablo Rodriguez has come out and been critical of the appointment and sounded upset and angry. You've seen a couple other Quebec MPs who are much the same way. So they just, they literally did no homework in preparation for this and put her out there. Like that poor woman to had to be go slaughtered. And, like, meet. Yeah, she had to meet with Blanchette for an hour. She didn't know apologize. about it. Yeah, she didn't know about it. Then she had to apologize. And then the very next day, he still called out for her to be fired, which again, anyone with any common sense would know that's the move that he's going to do. This is Quebec's going to Quebec. And I think that it was deeply irresponsible for the liberal government to put her in this position and not support her in the way that they should have. They've acted like little babies. Pablo Rodriguez is really irritating to me. Okay. Because this is the thing. This is a man who in 2018, when they were doing anti-racism consultations, said that that he didn't believe in systemic racism. So I'm sorry, on what planet does he think that he can actually decide which which ends up with this? This is always going to be this is always going to be the difficult walk in Quebec, always, always, always. And the NDP struggled with it too during the orange wave because Mulcair is like we have a whole podcast on my feelings on Thomas Mulcair. But, you know, Mulcair has is, has always walked that very fine line between this NDP commitment to social justice and the Quebec perspective on things. Like, if you don't believe that Quebec people are xenophobic, you are completely wrong. Is every single person in Quebec xenophobic? Absolutely not. Is every single person in, in Quebec racist? Absolutely not. Is it an overwhelming feeling? Absolutely and it's the exact same feeling. And I, the only reason I feel like I can say that with such confidence is when my parents lived in Quebec, you know, and as someone whose family lived in France, it's very, 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 very similar. You know, did I meet people like the entire month I was in France who were wonderful, incredibly smart, loving, warm people? Oh, yes, they all were. But the second that you start talking about immigrants from a Muslim country, there's a very different response than you will get when you talk about, for example, people who are um, immigrating to France from Ukraine. There's a very, very different reaction and response. And I think it's important for people to acknowledge that, but they won't because Quebec is the route to electoral success. Yes. That's a big rant. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That is a material point, isn't it? That Quebec is that. Which is why the conservatives like jumped on this. Well, I remember hearing um, back in 2019 that Sheer actually straight up refused to do certain cultural events because he didn't want to offend Quebec. And like what? so that's I'm, like, you know, I feel like I don't, I like he would, uh, he, he did not want to do anything that was, um, outside of sort of the judo-christian perspective and he wouldn't do events like that and he didn't want to be filmed at events like that which is the exact opposite of the kind of conservatism that stephen harper ex- exposed like that was what stephen harper jason kenny like all that's what god gave him a majority government is mm-hmm. because they worked very hard to bring uh immigrant communities on side sheer wouldn't mm-hmm. and so there's been kind of this movement within the conservative party and even o'toole who i really do like as a person was not strong enough on Bill 21. Nobody was. Even Jagmeet Singh wasn't strong. They were all Listen, very weak 
on something. Don't even talk to me about Jugmeet Singh because I will never forget him and Sachi Curl, okay? Who led the oh, debate, that, yeah. the national debate on Bill 21 during the 2021 election. And he sided with white supremacy and patriarchy ganging up on her. So but Bill 21 and both the uh, 2019 election and the last election were opportunities for Jagmeet Singh could have actually stood up and said, you know, I am not going to support. And, you know, fuck it. Like you lose votes in Quebec. You don't have any votes in Quebec anymore, buddy. You think they're going to vote for you? Like, come on. Um, he could have done that. And I think that would have shown some moral leadership. But he, it was clear that he was very uncomfortable having that conversation. And it doesn't help that his French is not very super strong. So it's much easier to have sort of a more direct conversation on Bill 21 in English. But then going into this next election, whenever that happens, he's going to be even more handicapped because Polyev's French is perfect. We're not talking about Aaron O'Toole or Andrew Scheer or even Harper, whose French was, you know, me. Polyev's French is perfect. And so that's going to be a big struggle for him too, is to have those arguments and position himself somewhere between two people who speak fluent French. So um, I also want to say that new research uh, has has shown that Bill 21 is having a devastating um, impact on religious minorities in Quebec. So Overall, 73% of Muslim women, 43% of Jewish women, and 85.7% of Sikh women reported a decline in their sense of safety in public over the last three years. So similar declines were also noted in their sense of belonging and hope for their children's future. I also want to emphasize that this is where you see the intersection of race, gender, and religion. Mm-hmm. And so um, this is a bill that harms women more. Yes. Um, women have reported being fired from their jobs. They cannot, they, they literally cannot advance in their jobs um, as they are, which tells me that this is going to build an economic underclass that is at those in, at that intersection and um yeah what that means for everything caretaking child care whatever 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 that's that's a whole new can of worms so that is why i did not <laughs> I did not like that uh, Amir apologized. Mm-hmm. Um, no job is. I'm sure that. she was told to. She yes, was told to, yes. So she... I'm sure she was. I'm sure she was. I don't. I don't see anyone asking Bernie Faber to apologize for what he said. No. no. I have In not fact, seen he's been one... left out of this conversation altogether. Yep, and like. Again, I don't think either of them have anything to apologize for, but I don't understand why he's been left out of this conversation and why he's not included in this conversation. Um, And this is one of the things that is very frustrating, I think, from a perspective of um, Muslim representation, whether it is in political dialogue or social conversation. You know, you even have a lot of Muslim women and men who have to apologize for their perspective on Palestine. 
uh, which is, in my opinion, a completely fair perspective to talk about the right of the Palestinian people to their own homeland and to not be murdered and have their settlements destroyed. Um, that's a reasonable thing to be saying. But you, that's that's completely that makes you political like cyanide. You can't say those things. I mean, look what happened to what's her name, the Green Party person. Like it happens all of the time that these comments, when it's connected to Islam and it's connected to someone's basic right to express their own faith. When it comes to Islam, that's not okay. When it comes to Judaism, when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to a lot of other things, like that, that gets a much bigger pass. And I think that we need to start talking about why that is. Like why nobody has said anything to Bernie Faber. Why um, the Sikh Association that has spoken out multiple times against Bill 21 is not getting the same treatment. You don't see the Quebec Assembly calling them out. So explain to me what makes it so much different for a Muslim person to speak about a law as it does for anybody else of any other faith. And why whenever a Muslim person speaks about their basic human dignity and human rights, that becomes a political football in a way that it doesn't with any other faith. And I think we need to start talking about that. And that's Islamophobia in a nutshell. Yes, it is. Yes. In a nutshell. Now, Chantal Hebert wrote a horrid piece on this. Um, I've included one in the document. Um, not, I wouldn't call it horrible. I would just call it um, a backgrounder, okay? And for some reason, Quebec thinks that they're more um, put upon than Black people. That bothers me. It bothers me a lot. It bothers me a lot, considering that it was the French that brought slavery to Canada anyway. So I have I have issues and problems with the way Quebec positions itself in its victimhood. Yes, I said it. And well, and I think I think that what they always try to do too is they lean back on the fact that they do have um, better social programs than the vast majority of any other province in Canada as an example of how progressive they are. So yeah, really? I mean, way before any they well, they always do that. Like way yeah, before I, yeah, any they do. other province had like had five dollar a day daycare, Quebec did. You yeah, know, but Quebec it doesn't had, it doesn't make you progressive if not everybody can access it. Yes. But this is this is the way that they frame things. And it's always in this context of secularism. In that they are not trying to and I'm not agreeing with this, I'm saying that this is the way that they see it is that they are not trying to target individual groups. What they are trying to do is make sure the secularism is is applied across the board. And they do have a certain special victimhood because that's a Francophone province. They've always felt like they aren't included, even though they're included way more than anybody else. Like, it's it's always been like this. All I know is that discriminated people, okay, when it comes down to it, People who have been oppressed and subjugated don't get to run their own province. Well, I would say that I think that part of part of where they're coming from, which I would give them some credence to, is that for a very long time, until Trudeau Sr., not the current one, the last one, you know, they did struggle in terms of of the Official Languages Act, in terms of, of keeping French alive, like 
and it is a culture like francophone community is a culture growing i've grown up in the francophone community in Alberta. it is a very very strong culture and community with our own language the, everything else like i do understand that so i can understand that but you don't have to compete in like the oppression olympics to be like i was i suffered worse than you did or this happened or, like i think that that's unfair and for, for Quebecers to sort of see that. And when she spoke in one of her pieces, I believe about sort of like talking about slavery, talking about different things, like you have to be able to acknowledge that like, you didn't get to speak your language, you struggled a little bit, but you weren't put in change and brought chains brought from another country and forced to work. Like you did not, you weren't put in residential school. Like you guys have to like be a little bit more reasonable in the way that you're approaching these things. But oftentimes I find that that conversation just, there's there's it's a really difficult time finding kind of like a middle road with people like that because they just want to say like no everything that happened to us was worse like nobody like that like residential schools were far worse so i'm not sure what you're like, talking about and they killed like 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 there were like black settlers in nova scotia and francophone areas in nova scotia they were basically all wiped out so that was also worse like we don't exactly know this is my whole point and i just i i i cannot find it I, I I I really do turn off when they start going down that road because this is also the province that wants to, that vehemently wants to defend the use of the n-word and I can't I can't hang with that oh wait you mean like I can't just like randomly throw that out there exactly. um wow. yeah no I mean it's yeah no wonder like, Trudeau I... felt it was okay to be in blackface for so many times that we don't even know how many times coming back to this will this will lead somewhere trust me because this is the this is the thread here um amira is so white passing white passing she is yeah yeah, she is okay i feel like they would have treated her worse were she dark were she black so there's that but the even if she was ilham omar yes it's funny you should bring that up because that's exactly what i was thinking I knew. I look at this and then I look at Ilhan Omar and how um, they basically, what, kicked her out of committee? She's kicked off all of her committees. All of her committees because why? Um, Well, Erica, even though I know you know the answer, I'm assuming you want me to tell you so that the listeners will know. Yes. She was kicked off because she repeated an anti Semitic trope a couple years ago on Twitter. Mm-hmm. where she I can't remember what it was she was actually quote tweeting but she said it's all about the Benjamins yeah which of course is an anti-semitic trope so what did yes. she do she did the exact right thing that you're supposed to do she apologized she said that she did not though I don't maybe it's a cultural thing but she said she didn't know that there was like a thing with Jewish people and money which I feel like okay uh, but anyway she said she didn't know she apologized she literally went on every possible like TV and radio show you could to apologize. This was years ago. Like this was like, I think four years ago yeah. that this happened. Yeah. Meanwhile, we have fucking Marjorie Taylor green who not only believes in Jewish space lasers, but actually has appeared multiple times with neo-Nazi white supremacists who do not believe that the Holocaust even happened and she is on committees. 
So it's not about anti-Semitism. And this is something conservatives love to use all the time as a weapon against people that they do not like to say that, oh, you're anti-Semitic or you've done something anti-Semitic when they don't care. Like they really don't care. What they care about is the fact that she is a Somali-born immigrant woman, a Muslim hijab-wearing woman, and they haven't liked her since the second she won in 2016? Yeah. 2017? Yeah, 2016. Yes. Or is it 2018? They haven't liked her since then. I, maybe it was 2018 when they when they reached the house. Yeah. But they haven't liked her since then. Like, they don't like anything about her. They've made up these insane rumors about her that she's married to her brother or she's done this and that. And you're right. If she was more white passing, there wouldn't be an issue as much. And I think that she bothers people because she is so dark-skinned and she is outspoken and she's all of these different things. And she's been targeted. Like, when you talk about the four, right? So it's her, AOC... Rashida Talab and, and another one I'm forgetting. Uh, Ayanna Presley. Yes. And out of the four of them, who gets it the easiest, who still is on committee? AOC. And yeah. there's a reason wh- why that is. And I think that we just like, we do need to start looking at these things within the context of Islamophobia and like, and in the context of racism, because both of like, it's, it's, a, it's a racist thing around the way that she looks. And it's an Islamophobic. Like both of those things exist at the same time. Right. And I think that we, in that, I, I really, I probably shouldn't be lecturing you on black racism. <laughs> you know You're not I mean? lecturing me. <laughs> I'm lecturing our listeners. listeners. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because like you introduced me at the beginning as a conservative. People are going to listen to this and be like, what the fuck kind of conservative is she? One who, who can look at the way things are. Which is why you're here. Don't worry, your conservative will come out very soon. No, I, so I think that we need to be very we need to be very clear on on what um um <laughs> on what we on what we allow in terms of like racialized people who are allowed to have a platform and those who are not. And oftentimes, as you are very unfortunately familiar, if you are able to sort of repeat the line that works for people like there's some folks who work for the national post who are super comfortable doing that um then you get platformed if if you are make people uncomfortable with demanding change then you get demonized oh for sure for sure and targeted and harassed and all the things all the things so now this has been like you alluded to this earlier. This has been a time where Trudeau has been accused of throwing yet another woman of color under the bus. I know he got a lot of headlines. I know he got a lot of headlines for standing behind beside her. Um, he did not. He at first, at first. He said that she had to clarify her statements. And I'm like, clarify what? The other thing, too, is I do not want to exclude the fact that, um, you know, there was a tweet that's now deleted that where Amira said that her. That I guess I guess she was talking in the context of um, Quebec. um, 
historical uh, oppression of of mm. francophones and said something about it making her want to vomit. Um, yeah, and then she said that Stephen Harper was worse than 9-11, so that seems a little excessive. She has said stuff, like, don't get me wrong, like, she has said stuff that is, like, that that comment especially. It, it, but you know what? We have all as someone who has been on Twitter for a long time, we have all said stuff that was just like, I was just mad. I said that was yeah. probably a bit much. And I'm, I'm not saying that, I'm not excusing the comment. I think that we can all agree that 9-11 was worse than Stephen Harper. Um, <laughs> but I think that, like, again, this is, this is part of the liberal government's failure to properly vet her. Mm-hmm. Because what they should have done is gone through all of that and when they found that tweet or the, the makes you want to vomit tweet, they should have said, okay, this is what we're going to, this is what we're, we've decided that this is okay. And we're still going to move forward with you in this role. This is how we're going to respond to that. And they right. didn't do that. They didn't do no. any of that. They didn't prep her. They didn't do shit. And no. I think, I like, I don't think Katie Telford's dumb. I don't think a lot of the people in the, pre, in the prime minister's office are dumb. So I don't know what they're doing. I that think, they just... I, I, I think their window dressing, their need for window dressing supersedes any type of, of yeah. ethical performance whatsoever. These people yep. wanted somebody in a hijab. They wanted a woman. They had their criteria. And it's the same thing they did with Julie Payette so that they could build, so that they could shine their brand. This is all this yep. is all about. It's not about it. Like it's all on. Honestly, it's really not even about her. It's literally no. about on one hand, you have the liberals who just want to use her as a political prop for them to say, hey, we're here about diversity. Yay. We're addressing concerns of these, 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 these communities. Yay. And on the other hand, is the Bloc Quebecois saying, well, we are here to fight for Quebec and Quebec values. And that's what we're going to do. And that's literally what's happening. So that the Bloc Quebecois could shave some of Quebec's votes off the Liberals. And so it's so that can... Well, and it's worked. If you look at the polling, if you look at it the has polling, worked. it's worked. It has worked. And I think the, Which is why I know, found Chantelle Hébert's, like column just so off the mark like usually she is the one who could see through those things but no she got whipped up in her in her in her feelings and that's what way yep that's what you got okay so now that's not the only thing speaking of quebec that's defined dividing the liberal caucus um there is a clause-by-clause study of Bill C-13 underway. Um, And Bill C-13 is a bill that was designed to fulfill a liberal promise made in 2021, in the 2021 speech from the throne, to, quote, protect and promote French outside and inside Quebec, unquote. Um, As written, it will require federal regulated businesses in heavily francophone regions to make it a right to serve customers in French and for workers to work in French. In its preamble, Bill C-13 states that, quote, Quebec's charter of the French language provides the Quebec is the official language of Quebec, unquote. The amendment in question 
was brought forward by Montreal liberal Anthony Housefeather, and it sought to delete this bit from the government's bill and replace it with the National Assembly of Quebec instead of the Quebec Charter of the French language has determined that French is Quebec's official language within its own sphere of jurisdiction. So including a reference to the federal law in a federal law to Quebec's charter of the French language may provide legal legitimacy to Francois Legault, Legault government's bill 96, which expanded the charter and more strictly mandated use of the French language in nearly every part of Quebec society. So basically, the argument is that um, it would set a federal legal precedent and legitimize Mm -hmm. the rollback of minority Anglophone rights and the circumvention of the rest of the charter, I assume, of rights and freedoms. This is this is very typical, like within the Francophone community, like as someone who has grown up in the Francophone community, there is a very deep fear of losing that like the, the language. So in my family, as an example, um, my two older siblings and my, uh, were born in France and they immigrated here when they were 16 and 17. And then my youngest brother, who is now 33, was born in France or Belgium, but whatever, we don't talk about that. Um, and then came to Canada. Uh, so of my three siblings uh, who are like French, um, only one of them married a Francophone. So my sister is married to a Francophone. My niece and my nephew speak fluent French. I speak fluent French with them. My dad speaks French. We all speak French together. My two brothers married Anglophones and their kids don't speak, don't speak French. And so that is a big issue within even just my family is the idea of like not being connected to your culture because when you speak the language you're more connected and it's a big deal and the majority of us within the first generation are all fluent francophones so I can understand where this kind of concern comes from because when you don't speak it all the time when your kids aren't speaking it the language gets lost like my brother's kids their kids will never have any connection to their French culture, none whatsoever, because they won't speak the language. They won't be connected to it whatsoever. And so that's where this is coming from. So from a kind of Francophone perspective, I can understand the concern. But again, like most things in Quebec, it is very discriminatory towards minority communities. And there is a strong Anglophone community within Quebec. And they need to be able to you know operate and live and work within their own language as much as they want to and when you go for example to the montreal airport you if you don't speak french you're fucked when i was there um when i came back from france like nobody spoke to us in english and they told us flat out like we don't speak to people in english which is interesting for an international airport where a lot of people are probably coming in who do not speak french but French is the primary language. Everything is in French. Everything is that way. So I can understand that they're protective of something that they feel like they might lose. 
But at the same time, there is a need for Quebec to protect minority rights and there's a need for the federal government to also step up. But I think that they will be very slow to do so because it's Anglophones in Quebec and that's not the most popular group in the world. It doesn't win them any votes. No, no. Because and like they already have the Montreal votes, basically. Yeah, and everybody that I know within the Francophone community, pretty much without an exception, in Alberta, which has a very strong Francophone community, they're all hardcore liberal supporters. Like that is that is their bread and butter is the Francophone community, not just within Quebec but outside of Quebec, and they watch what's happening in Quebec, and it does impact the way that they vote. I think, I mean, I think when it comes to Quebec, um, you have a very, like, like I can't remember who said this. I was listening to a podcast the other day where someone said this, and it's true that no liberal leader who is one has been born outside of Quebec. You know, Trudeau, Martin, Chrétien, Mulroney were all Quebecers. And so there is a very strong urgency within the Liberal Party to be very pro-Quebec. And I think that other people, like you've even seen it with some of the language on the just transition. Randy Bosonow, Seamus O'Regan, they've been very like vocal on they don't like the terminology. They wish it was called the Sustainable Jobs Act, which does sound significantly better. It does. Um, so you have seen a disconnect in caucus because I think that um, right now it seems to be that the liberals are focused on holding what they have. And Quebec is an example of that. But they've always, everybody always kowtows to Quebec. Even Harper did. So it's not like this is a big shock um, to see that they're kind of continuing to let them. But if, if Alberta ever tried half of what Quebec does, we would get shot down like in nobody, like like in no time whatsoever. Oh, for sure. Anyway, moving on. So Kristen, what did you think of the State of the Union? Because I made you watch it. <laughs> You did make me watch it. I wasn't going to. Um, I, you know, I mean, I think that it was, it was very typical kind of Biden, right? Like it was very like um, middle class, middle class appealing, very fucking protectionist, which is not good for us. I, I uh, thought, I thought it was more blue collar this time. Actually, it was very scratchy. Yeah, it was middle class blue collar. Like that's, but that's what he's like. That's his jam, right? Yeah. But yeah, and it part was a of that very is blue collar like speech. Yeah, and part of that was this this protectionist agenda that he's been pushing. And ironically, like, and don't get me wrong, like, Donald Trump was a disaster in every single possible way. But Biden is actually probably going to be worse for our economy going forward than than Trump was because of how protectionist he is and the way he talked about, for example, he talked about lumber and that all lumber from now on in projects in the United States will be bought within the United States, which is deeply hurtful to BC given that our biggest export is to the United States. So I don't know what that ends up looking like for us. And this is a continuation of some of the conversations with you smacka or whatever the new NAFTA is. Mm-hmm. Um, you smack up like a uh, fair trade agreement I yeah know, and I like I just it, <laughs> that's amazing but so like I think that those are those are issues I mean also he really shied away from social issues right like for the most part he didn't talk about LGBTQ rights he didn't he talked about abortion extremely briefly when you have within the United States for example multiple states 
bringing in laws banning gender affirming care he didn't even speak to that he did not say any word nothing and you have seen more and more and more and unfortunately this has also bled into canada this very anti-lgbtq uh, focus yep. from the right mm-hmm. and it's dangerous and it is very um harming to people within the lgbtq2s community and he didn't really speak about that like i said he only touched on abortion briefly so that's mm-hmm. something else like they're they haven't even like every like they have to bring the domestic violence uh the violence against women act back into uh i guess it's like 20 years or 25 years they have to like re-vote on it because they're dumb um they haven't even done that and he didn't speak to that either and that was actually a signature biden act he was in the senate so there's a lot of different things on the social side that he didn't really speak to i think because he didn't want to piss off centrist voters and then ironically despite all of that the response to the state of the union from noted nonsense person sarah huckabee sanders was to basically say that like it was just this woke leftist agenda of like craziness <laughs> and you know critical race theory and it's like that didn't even come up once what are you talking about so it didn't even matter that he actually tried to like provide this very centrist centrist right vision for the party um because the right is still going to be insane but maybe that's things. what he was maybe okay maybe i'm giving him too much credit maybe i'm not i don't know but it is interesting that sarah huckabee sanders sounded like unhinged oh yeah absolutely. It sounded like she didn't know what was happening and i'm just like you're not even in washington so that's number one and number two was i just and then she tried to be relatable and it just didn't go well and it was a stark contrast between first of all anybody who asks you to do a response to the state of the union just don't okay just don't. it never goes well for them no um like marco rubio and his i was just thinking drinking. about marco rubio and his water drinking in between and yeah. i was just like wow you know marco rubio is not even being talked about on the national stage anymore or um what's his name from louis bobby jindal where is he Oh, I forgot about Bobby Jindal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, no one cares about him anymore. Right. Now they have Who? Nikki Haley. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So anybody, I, I, I think it's, it's a career. I think too, like the other thing that was interesting is that like, um, I liked a little bit of like, you know, fight in parliament, like every now and then when they get into it, like, I think it's like, but then you look at like the way that they get into it and you look at the state of the union and the way that the Republicans responded to Biden. And it's just like, they look like children. They yeah. look like little petulant children. And then of course, Biden had this like incredible moment of getting them to actually agree that they wouldn't cut Medicare and social security. Yes. 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 Despite the fact that Rick Scott, who is one of the um, most senior persons in Senate in the Senate, has talked about wanting to do that, though now he's saying he didn't say that. Even, <laughs> like he did. Um, so I think that Biden. Wait a minute, Biden former governor of- Rick Scott. Yeah, Rick Scott's a senator now. Mm-hmm. He Florida. looks like a snake person. Yeah. 
Yeah, and Good. and Sarah had Florida makes a lot of great choices. You know, Bugs Bunny was right when he started sawing off Florida. Yeah. Except for that one, like the new guy, the new Democrat who's like 26, 27 years old that they just elected out of Florida. Who's that? I can't remember his name. Maxwell something. He's very adorable. He's the youngest person in the in uh the house of house of uh, in the oh, house. It's no longer Richie Torres. No. Oh. Also, we should you know we should really I think we should really talk about our new favorite person in Congress, the man of a million names. Oh, George Santos. No. You know what? Like, I find it funny that we have this, like, new weird, like, hero story for Mitt Romney. Like, everybody seems to forget that we didn't like Mitt Romney back in the day, like, when he but, ran against no, Obama but, in 2012. But but he goes through these cycles all the time because he will screw I it up. I know. And he like, will screw it he up, saw, Kristen. He will screw it up. I know he will. I have no, but he saw George Santos and he was like, you should be embarrassed. <laughs> I mean, he should be. He should be. But, but like, like, every time Mitt Romney has these, like, hero moments, I'm like, he's He's gonna do something dumb he is gonna go to mar-a-lago his binder full of women just do you remember that you remember when that was like the biggest like political like that was like 2012 wasn't it 2012 yeah 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 binders when he was running against obama because obama asked him a question about uh, gender equity and yeah. he said I have a binder full of women <laughs> that was one thing I thought was really interesting too about the State of the Union mm. as going back to when Bush was president Bush was one of the first presidents to actually talk about a path to citizenship yes. that happened under Bush yes it's and true. he because he came he came from Texas and he had this like quote-unquote compassionate conservatism view on things I mean Obviously, that didn't extend to people in Iraqi prisons, but it was his perspective on certain people. And here we are in 2023, 22 years later, and we are still having to hear the same conversations coming out of Congress around a path to citizenship and allowing folks to dream the Dreamers Act and all these other different things. And just providing basic services to people. And mm-hmm. it's crazy to me. Like, it's crazy that, like, of all the people, you can be like, this was actually better under George W. Bush, which is a weird statement. It's but true. True. And he was weird. the last Republican who actually really seemed to care about immigration and not from an insane person perspective. And yet we still have kids in cages. Yeah. And I'll tell you, like, one of the things that I always thought was I thought was interesting is when I went to France. Also, did Biden um, just forget that happened? Yeah, no, we're not talking about that. Did I miss that part? Did no, I miss see, immigration? The, he briefly touched on it. He touched on a path to citizenship, which is like that quote unquote, like good thing to say. But he didn't really get into any kind of detail. Well, on that note, we have reached the end of our episode. Thank you, Kristen, for coming. Thank you for having me. And hanging out. Kristen will be with us in two weeks. We will come back. Um, also, look out for Misogynist of the Week later this week. 
And um, have a great week, everybody. Bye. Have a great week, everybody. Bye. My bitch is bad and bullshit.